Welcome to episode 38 of the Bike Pack Canada podcast with yours truly, Ryan Corey. Happy Global Fat Bike Day. I'm happy to see a group of local riders headed out to Nipica Lodge in BC. Uh, they have a tremendous trail network from what I've heard. And uh, if my memory serves me right, I, I believe I actually sampled some of it on the 2009 Trans Rockies um, that same year. And I think on their trail network, I actually cracked my tailbone, um, which is an unfortunate injury when you're when you're a cyclist. But uh, hopefully with uh, some powder on the trails, uh, you won't run into the same problems I had. News of the week, um, buffs are hit. Of course they're hit. They're awesome looking. Make sure to get yours. Um, they should be arriving on Monday, um, and I'll sh- be shipping them out pretty soon after that. We're going to start dabbling with Shutter Precision Dynamo Hubs. Uh, anyone that would like to get their hands on one, I'm offering uh, 10% off um, for the initial run. Uh, you just need to email me at info at bikepack.ca uh, for more information. Uh, so this is for our Canadian listeners and um and and please yeah any and all questions there's there's no dumb questions there's quite a few options when it comes to hubs um and i'm happy to help navigate those waters also this past week we had our route creator shirts come in so these are our exclusive new bike pack canada shirts just for route creators you can see a picture of it if you go to bikepack.ca slash routes and uh, also our our route planning criteria is also listed um, on the site there. Speaking of route creation, my interview today is with Nathan Taylor from the Adventure Cycling Association. Uh, He and I get into the ins and outs of mapping new routes, uh, including the Great Divide extension, uh, which should be online in May next year. Um, The extension goes from Jasper now to uh, Banff, so quite a bit more miles in the, the Canadian front range. Before we get into it, I, I want to be transparent, though, that I was actually quite against the extension uh, when it was first brought about. Um, it's funny because um, this is before I knew that uh, Alberta Rocky 700 uh, founder Jonathan Hayward, um, he was he was lead, he is leading the charge on, on the road creation. And, and I didn't know it at the time when 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 I was first asked for my opinion. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to be transparent that I was I was against it. Um, having ridden the divide several times, I felt that the northern starting point was uh, more logistically challenging, also not the smoothest start um, due to some unavoidable asphalt and uh, busy roads. That said, um, you know, with over a year since Mac McCoy first asked my opinion, um, I've had, you know, ha- had obviously a lot of time to come around to the idea that I need to get over the racer mindset and and look at what doors it opens up for new touring potential, uh, which is vast. And it is a beautiful route once you get onto the, the Highway 40 there. Further to the, the Jasper starting point, um, when, I, when it came to new bike packing routes that I was going to include in my uh, Canadian Rockies guidebook, I actually racked my brain trying to figure out uh, a potential route that included Jasper. And um, there, there are a lot of mountain biking trails in and around the town, but there, there's not a lot of good, you know, long through trails to connect to other networks. So next to my Icefield Winter Epic that will be included, um, honestly, this is, this is your best option and, and you don't want to overlook it. So, uh, long story short, I, I just want to say, you know, thank you to Jonathan for your work on this. Uh, I tip my hat um, because without you, um, it honestly would not have happened. And uh, it's a step for Canadian bikepacking. Thank you again. 
All right, let's uh, get into our talk with Nathan. I am senior GIS specialist slash cartographer in the routes and mapping department at Adventure Cycling. Um, I've been on staff for going on eight years now. Um, uh, there's multiple facets to adventure cycling. I work in, like I said, the cartography department, which we call routes and mapping. We're responsible for mapping. Um, to this point, we have nearly 47,000 miles of mapped bike routes. Most of them are road routes. Um, our first mountain bike route, um, off-road route was done. It was the Great Divide Mountain Bike Route. It was released in the mid-90s. It's actually the, the research was begun in the mid-90s. Um, the maps were actually released until 1998. This coming year is the 20th anniversary of that first um, map set. And so we're totally updating and revising the, the entire route and adding the 400-mile northern extension in Canada from Banff, Canmore area, all the way up to Jasper. And that's kind of my function. I, I, there's obviously a ton of maps. We still produce a printed map product, which um, nowadays it's slowly being usurped by digital navigational data and GPS data and um, all the various smartphone apps that are coming out these days. But we still are, we're a membership-based organization. We have nearly 60,000 members um, internationally that um, are members of Adventure Cycling. And um, 47,000 miles worth of bike routes is a lot of paper maps, as you might imagine. So I spent a lot of time updating those maps, working in GIS software, working in graphic design software, which is kind of where we bring um, all the data into um, to get it you know, aesthetically pleasing and laid out really nice. And, and then that is, that package is shipped up and sent to the printer. And, um, that's how the, the paper maps are produced. Um, but my, one of my biggest functions besides updating maps is, um, I'm involved, um, with a lot of the researching of new routes. So I'm liaison with, um, we have a variety of members, um, volunteers, maybe they're past, um, tour guides we also there's also a tourist department aspect of adventure cycling we um our tourist department leads over a hundred um guided tours every year and so we have ex-tour guides who maybe are retired and they have time on their hands to do research or it's just someone we have um a correspondence with just they've reached out to us but we've reached out for them to them for the great divide um canada extension jonathan hayward who is the, the RD, the, the race director for the Alberta Rocky 700 bikepacking um, event. He reached out to um, basically the, the original architect of the Great Divide Mountain Bike Route. His name's Mac McCoy. And he reached out to him, I think, right when he was designing the route, before the first Alberta Rocky 700 event. He reached out to Mac, and they just struck up a um, communication and, and Mac was really interested in um, his route. And uh, immediately the idea was, you know, is this something we'd like to do? Um, ultimately, at the end, you know, part of our mission was to keep on expanding our bike routes as much as possible. And so kind of with that in mind, we, um, you know, the update was happening. We were kind of setting it in the back burner a little bit. We knew that in 2018 there was going to be a big update to the maps. 
that that was probably going to be the ideal time to really implement any big route change. And so that's what we're doing. Gotcha. So the, what, what is, what does GIS stand for? Geographic information systems. Okay. So how did, how does, how does one become a cartographer? So I went to school for it. Um, University of Montana here in Missoula is a great institution. I was able to stay in Missoula. You know, a lot of folks come to Missoula, go to college, and then move away because they can't find a job here in Missoula. I was able to stay in Missoula. I went back and did graduate work in the geography department there in Missoula. It was with a GIS slash cartography emphasis. So my emphasis through school was was maps for print production. Um, and GIS is just kind of the system, the software of organizing all this spatial data, you know, the data that essentially that many users today are collecting with their GPS device using the Strava app or the Rider GPS app or, and, um, it's just managing all that data, managing all that data, um, can do analyses on the data. You can obviously the map layout functionality of a software like that, it's all built in. So that's pretty simple to do. Um, more and more nowadays, you know, there's some programs which are a little more GIS programs that are a little more advanced to use, but there's open source software options um, for GIS software today that are super user friendly and, um, and anymore, you know, the public mapping revolution that's happening with open, open street map, all this crowdsource data and, you know, how can we use this data? How can we manipulate this data? How can we store this data? Um, it's becoming easier and easier and easier, but yeah, GIS is kind of the, uh, at least the, the foundational, you know, part of, 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 you know, this geospatial mapping and geospatial, um, technology. Gotcha. A question just came up as I was listening to you there. So you mentioned that the, the paper maps are, are starting to kind of fade away which, yeah. you know, when I look at it from a mountain bike perspective, like the Great Divide, um, you know, I always yep. encourage people to take multiple forms of really everything just for backups Absolutely. and especially navigation. So, you know, for someone that's never done, especially a, a backcountry route, I can't imagine doing it with without the maps because really if the technology yeah. fails, you're you're in, in a tough place. Whereas now that I think about it, like for the the road networks that you have – it's a little easier to, you know, if you get in trouble, you kind of just, you know, ride to a gas station or whatever and, and sort it out and charge your gadget. But on the, yeah. on, on the note of, I guess, fading maps, like, do you see a trend where like front country routes that's going down, but in back country it's, it's not really changing or is it kind of just, you know, losing its appeal overall? It's a good question because, I kind of put all of our routes and our maps under one umbrella, but you could easily distinguish a road cycling route from a bike packing route or a mountain bike route. And, you know, most of the numbers that we crunch, you know, in, in house, they're looking at everything comprehensively. And so, you know, as we release GPS data, for navigational purposes, which we have, we, we do have GPS data available for purchase um, from our website on our, our, our online, excuse me, online cycle source store. Um, 
as we've released this data, we've noticed that it's, you know, map sales have maybe gone down a little bit. And it's hard to project what exactly is happening there. But for, if you look at a mountain bike route where there's multiple things going on, obviously the surface, surface is much different. There's, um, you know, there's not as good cell coverage if you're relying on your phone. Um, the, the, you probably want to use some sort of topographic base map if you are trying to go digital, if you're using a smartphone app or a GPS or something, versus just the Google Maps base map, which is available and pretty generic. It's, it's not going to help you if you're in a really remote canyon, you know, way down in southern New Mexico where the landscape is virtually devoid of features. Um, Google Maps, it's not going to help you too much. It'll maybe show a couple lines for a few roads nearby and then just a blotted out green background. You know, it's not helpful. Um, navigationally, the Great Divide mountain bike route, you know, has its own set of factors. And um, I agree wholeheartedly that our paper maps in combination with some GPS data, maybe some nice topo maps loaded into, onto a GPS device or, or even a smartphone app these days, which is becoming more and more doable, um, is the best idea by far none, far none, absolutely. Um, but like you said, we have so many road routes and you can cross the country nowadays um, on road routes, you know, going essentially from populated area to populated area. The, the cell phone networks are, you know, getting so large and they're expanding, putting cell, putting towers up, you know, where they never were before. And so you can ride across the United States now. And yes, there's going to be some blackout areas, but you can navigate almost entirely using your smartphone. Um, and where there isn't, you know, coverage, um, cell coverage, you can have the, you know, there's the ability to, to download information offline and store it locally on your smartphone or your GPS device, and so you could pull up the information you need to navigate um, without any signal, without any, um, it's just all stored locally. And that's much easier to do, yes, on a road route versus the, mount, the Great Divide mountain bike route, though. Um, and, and have, 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 I, I personally, I love paper. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was going to say, in heaven forbid, you, you actually just ask someone for directions. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting conversation. I, I've been working on a guidebook for the last couple of years. It's, it's going to come out... Um, in 2000, early 2018, it's bikepacking in the Canadian Rockies. And before I, nice. before I got started, um, I had a conversation with, um, my publisher, um, who I'd okay. worked with on a previous book. And I said, are guidebooks even relevant? Like now that you have <laughs> GPS and, and smartphones and, um, you know, this doesn't even take into account the, you know, you should have backups, but, uh, you know, I said, do, do people even buy guidebooks anymore? And they, right. he surprised me. He said it's one of their, their top sellers. Like, and it, it, it maybe it more so on the guidebook front, like e, e, ebook sales, you know, people thought it would kill the, yeah. the, the paper industry and it never really did. People still really love right. a paper copy. And, you know, even if, even right. if you, even if you, you know, for, any of the routes you guys have, even if you navigate without a map, I think, you know, you'll, you'll quickly appreciate afterwards the, the novelty of, of having one up on a wall or, um, sure. 
Sure. Yep. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's one of the fun things for me when I was using your maps is, um, you know, I've got them tucked away and they're they're weathered and they have a story now. And you know, you just right. don't you don't right. get that you don't get with that with an app, but each serves no. its purpose. Totally. Yep. I think there's something. Well, yeah, like you said, ebooks replacing magazines or periodicals. How it hasn't really happened. There's something really nice about having like a, you know, a tactile experience. You know with you know or separating yourself from machinery from technology from devices unplugging and but like i said there's a tactile thing with it there's like you said afterwards it's a memento that it's that it doesn't just disappear into the ether you know after you you follow a tracking gps device it's actually it's something that rode with you it's weathered you remember the day you spilled the coffee on the first page of it you know the first day out you're having a rough time you know, there's a connection there. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm totally a map guy. I'm totally a paper map guy. Probably will be till the day I die. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's nothing like, uh, you know, when you pull up to a diner and you're starving and just pulling out your yeah. maps and just kind of plodding yep. ahead and thinking, and yeah, you just can't, you can't, it's yep. not, you just can't do that with a phone. So I think the maps are, yeah. to, are, are to stay, but uh, yeah, it's interesting to hear that. Um, they are dipping a little bit in, in popularity, but I, I don't think they'll ever go away yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, I hope not. So route creation is, is a pretty hot topic right now, or it's something I'm really focusing on with, with our community. Yeah. We had a um, our second annual bike pack summit back in September, and one of the, the, the takeaway points was I was really trying to um, empower uh, each of the riders to to start submitting routes and you know I was trying to tell them like you don't have to be an expert guide or something right like you if you sure. ride it and you know there and you live there you you are in a sense you know an expert of your own area um, so there's there's a lot of questions that start to come up for you know people that have never mapped a route before you know like what technology to use what factors do I need to consider so I guess you know having having an expert on the phone and you know with with really the go-to organization um how do like what what is your mapping process like do you have an outline of kind of the steps you follow or is it does it kind of grow organically um you know with with someone like jonathan stepping out of the mix to say hey i'd like to to map something i'd say it's a combination of both um and why i say it grows organically is because um, we get a lot of information um, coming to us um, every year from many different directions. And it could be like a member of ours, could be just an interested or slash concerned party. It could be someone we have a relationship with from a different group or organization. Um, we get a lot of suggestions for routes and route changes and things like that. Um, but when we've actually decided you know, to map a route or to change a route, um, it's going to, it takes on its own kind of process. Like you used the word organically, and I guess that's a good way to describe it. It depends on a lot of things. It depends on, um, you know, once we decide to map a route, we, we want to put boots on the ground or tires in the ground, as it were. Um, we want to get someone local in the area doing the field research, collecting the data, uh, bringing along a GPS, the data logger, um, driving the route, you know, biking it where it is appropriate, um, 
but that person, we, we, we don't just have, we don't just employ um, like a group of people who do route research for us. And that's, that's their job. That's their specialty. We have various people with different um, expertise and skill sets as far as using all this GPS technology and all these different devices and things like that. It varies. They're, 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 their um, their skill set varies. Their experience with these things varies. And so that I can lay out kind of a baseline set of procedures. This is how, you know, this is what I'd like you to collect um, ideally, but there's, there's several different items we look for in that collected data. And, you know, it just, I wish it could be all the same. <laughs> I wish that, um, I wish that I could just hand out a set of rules and, and folks could, um, could follow the rules and, and provide us with everything we need all in one fell swoop. But it, it just depends. It depends on um, nowadays, you know, using um, technology, using your laptop, using a mapping application um, on, your, on your desktop, your laptop, using GPS technology devices data loggers you know it requires it requires a specific skill set and some folks have you know it's 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 moderate and some people it's advanced and some people it's 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 relatively poor (laughs) i don't know how to say that differently but and you don't really discover that until I start receiving all the delivered product, you know, delivered data back to us. Um, but so that's what I mean by it, it kind of happens organically. But like I said, there's, there's certain products, there's certain um, intents and focuses we have with this data um, that we're having researchers collect. We want obviously a route and a route line, and that comes to us via line data. We also, if you've ever used our maps, we also locate um, services along the routes. And we symbolize those with icons on the maps themselves. And then we have on the flip side of the map often what's known as a service directory. And that's where we list all the contact information for the particular service. We describe it. We give ownership of it. We, we give an address for it, phone number, special instructions, things like that. And these are things like campgrounds, hotels slash motels, restaurants, um, things like that. And so those essentially, those come to us first and foremost as GPS waypoints. There's individual waypoints. We ask their outreach to get off, get off the route if need be and travel to these particular service locations and, 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 um, and waypoint them for us. And then another thing that we um, require is a different type of waypoint, and it's for a turn in the route. And so that's kind of the three main data data sets that I'm trying to get route researchers to collect for us, route, turn waypoints, and service waypoints. And um, again, I'm, I'm, you know, processing all this data pretty heavily in the GIS. Um, We're constantly refining our methods and procedures, and we really have to because geospatial technologies and the different devices that are available to the general public these days and the different mapping applications and software and everything. It's just, you know, it's evolving at such a rapid pace that we really 
are trying to keep up with it ourselves with our with our our route research um, procedures, and um, and it's hard to keep one static procedure and have it last for ten years <laughs> and write a bible or, or a, a set of guidelines or workflows to how it should be done and expect it to be relevant or applicable even a year from now because things are changing that rapidly. So the, but, you know, go ahead. I was going to say, so the, the, I, I guess really the, the takeaway is, is, is kind of what I've expressed to, to our community. It's don't overthink it. Just start like, yeah, yeah. You know, there is no, there is no Bible. Like you said, no. Yeah. And it's so much easier for the general public, the lay person to do these types of things now, nowadays. And like you said, I am, I think the trend will be going in the near future is simplifying things because there are so many ways that people can collect this, again, this route data, this, this geospatial data. Um, there's, there's really nice mapping applications, even a, a program like ride with GPS. I don't know if you, you use that or are familiar with it. That, that's such a powerful program, and it's so easy for anyone. Their their user interface is, is super simple. You, you you have the capability to do so many different things, whether it's planning routes or uploading a route that you rode. Um, you know, look at crunching the route for stats. You know, elevation stats, distance stats, cumulative stats. It's it's all at the click of a button, and you can export data from the program. You can. Um, import data into the program. I mean, I use a program like that all the time and it's so easy to create your data and then share it. Sharing is obviously a big part of it too. Yeah. You you talked about standards and um, I actually, I tried to to set out a few and I uploaded to our website. uh, I think it was last week and um, ride with GPS was actually, you know, if you are going to submit a route, you know, just for consistency yeah. sake, let's use Rider GPS. So, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's good yep. to hear that you, you're, you're in agreement on that one. Yeah, absolutely. I use it daily. I mean, multiple times a day sometimes just for simple things. But a user can easily, you know, go to that website and you can do myriad things um, just with all the tools that are that are available there. And there's, and there's several like it, too, you know. Um, Map my ride. Um, there's several that I don't even know about. I'm sure too. I'm, um, but again, I'm I'm more layering data into my GIS and processing it heavily there. But again, we have kind of again, like I like I said, we have certain endpoints and certain things we're trying to produce with our data, um, which sometimes requires some heavy processing in a in a GIS. So here's a question that I think most wouldn't think about until they're in a position where they're in a sense kind of responsible for people, you know, whether it's creating a map or, or a guidebook, but how, so, okay. So I, I appreciate and understand that, you know, a lot of the, the content is, or route is, is, you know, from the community as it, as it is with us. And it's not really reasonable, especially, you know, with the, the network as large as yours that, you know, you could have realistically employ the amount of people to, to, to map all that. But, um, sure. So I'm, I'm thinking behind the scenes, how do you, how do you validate, you know, what's coming in is actually legit or, you know, like, cause you know, I think about like the, the divide route and, you know, every once in a while it dips into, you know, private 
lands and, um, you know, areas where you're not supposed to camp. Like, do you, I guess you have to rely a lot on the people that are on the ground riding, providing you that data, but do you have any kind of validation process for that or like a double checking? We definitely, um, we rely a lot on field researchers, um, because in most scenarios, you know, land ownership out in the, the U.S. West, it's such a contentious, hot-button debate. And when Mac McCoy, again, the original designer of the Great Divide Mountain Bike Route, when he wrote it on, in his Jeep in 1995 or 1996, um, land use and ownership could have changed in a particular area between then and now. And it's hard to know what a landowner is going to do if they're going to try to change. Um, maybe they had a conservation easement that allowed public access or something like that, or pre- a previous landowner had, and they decided that they want to get rid of the easement and, and make it all private. Likely, you know, if that's going to happen, they're going to throw up signs. And so that information comes to us pretty quickly um, from users on the Great Divide Mountain Bike Route. And trust me, there's a lot of there's enough users that we get the information pretty quickly if someone throws up a sign that says this road is now gated and private and there's no public access we'll hear about that pretty quickly um for all other things you know related to this we, we want our field researchers to kind of take notice and and tell us confirm you know any of this information on the ground but even in so that's where you know that's where we're going to mainly to rely on that information. But you're right in that some, some, there's there's good reason for follow up confirmation to be done um, from the office. You know, to get in touch with the the local landowners, the, lo- the local administrators and managers of a certain place, and and see you know what's going on if we're still good. I mean, a good example is. Um, I was just looking at this morning is the Elk Valley Trail, yeah. which is going to be um, part of our, our new Great Divide Canada routing. Elk Valley Trail you know, between Round Prairie and, um, and, um, and, El- and Elko, you know, we're going to be taking our route off of Highway 43, Highway 3, um, and, and putting it onto this newly created trail. I believe it was just open to the public, I want to say in July, in June or July of this past year, this past summer. Yeah, that sounds um, right. Yeah, but that's a really, you know, this is just something that I've I've looked at recently. You know, the Fernie Trails Alliance got in touch with us, I want to say last year, and told us that, you know, it was being built and it was going to be open relatively soon and that they keep us apprised of um, the status of it. And... But if you look at the fine print, even you know, the, the Fernie Trails Alliance, they um, they published and released a, uh, a brochure, like a PDF brochure of the map. And it's pretty generalized, but it gives really good descriptions of the route. Um, and so even if you look at the fine print on that brochure, it says, um, you know, that a lot of landowners have allowed these, these trails um, to be built on their property and, and, and open for cyclists. So, you know, a situation like that, I want to make sure that we've, you know, done our due diligence and, and, you know, voiced to these appropriate landowners, hey, you know, we we maybe 
we'd like to include this as part of our Great Divide mountain bike route um, and just, you know, kind of make sure that they're okay with our being there, with our maybe funneling a few more bikes down um, through their property on the newly constructed trail. Just, again, due diligence. I'm assuming since they signed off on the trail being built on their property, they're good with cyclists being on it. Um, but an example like that, that, and actually that's, this is, it's a good example to bring up because our route researcher, Jonathan Hayward, actually, he did the research for us up in Canada. He couldn't ride the Elk Valley trail because he didn't have his bike with him on the weekend that he went to go do that. He was mainly just doing the road research for us. So he couldn't ride a lot of the sections of the Elk Valley trail. So we couldn't get the, the, the necessary data in some of the stretches. He just kind of went to various intersections and looked at the signage and, and looked at the surface and, 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 you know, he said it looked good, but, um, so yeah, the, the, as far as land, land ownership, things like that, it, it, it can be complicated. That's an example of something that we want to follow up on. And a, we do a lot of that follow-up too, um, where it's applicable. Um, in the United States, there's BLM lands and, you know, there's, changes that occur on those public lands a lot. And so it normally involves some sort of follow-up after, after the field research is even done. Great. Well, I, I definitely want to get into some more of the, the new um, Canadian route changes with the, with the divide. But one last yeah. question, one last question I have about just mapping in, in general is, so we, we talked about, you know, digital assets and uh, the, the hard copy maps. What's, yeah. So, okay. So say, say next month, you know, there, there's a, a few big changes. Like I assume you, you're not printing the maps every month. So, you know, what, no. what is, what is the standard for, for updating the maps? Is it, you know, every two years or, or just when there's a certain amount of changes, how do you do that? It's exactly that. It's generally every two years. We, we say it can actually be broader window every 18 to 36 months. I would say, and I know it's a pretty broad window, but it all depends on what we have in inventory on if there's been significant updates to a route. Like you said, if we publish a map and then a month later, um, let's say there's some oil exploration that opens up on some roads that we've just mo- we've recently routed um, cyclists onto, and it's just it becomes dangerous. It becomes too much traffic. Um, there's already maybe a more narrow shoulder than we'd like on this particular road. Um, only a couple times in our history have we actually made a safety reroute or a reroute due to safety where we just kind of threw out all of our inventory and, um, and, and told cyclists not to use these old maps because we were releasing these newer maps um, because, you know, it's just a much safer route. Only a couple times in our history have we done that. Um, generally, what happens is it'll go. We on our website, we have what's called um, a map updates and corrections web web page, and it's where all the changes between the map printings, you know, the release of of new map versions, all the changes um, are recorded. They're recorded on this web page, and so a cyclist using our maps. You know, if they know to change some construction project or a road that's been washed out due to a landslide or something like that, they can go on to that um, map updates and corrections webpage and probably find an entry 
for um, the situation that they're seeing in the field. Um, but yeah, the actual hard copy map likely won't be updated with that information for at least a year and a half or so. Okay. And uh, the the new the new Canadian map or maps they, they're coming out in May. Is that yeah. right? Yes, sir. Yep. They should be available in mid to late May. We're okay. still kind of firming up that deadline, but by late May they should be out. So w- would it be two maps now? I, I know there's one map for the Canadian section, but you've ex- extended it quite a ways north. So I imagine it's probably tough to fit yeah. that on the map now. Oh yeah, no, yeah. We've had to totally reformat the layout for the entire the entire route, actually. Um, so it'll still be a Great Divide Canada section in the north. It'll just be 400 miles longer. And so we've had to kind of rework the, the layout a little bit. We've changed the scale to provide more detail. So the maps as they currently are constituted are done at one to 250,000. They'll now be done at one to 200,000 to provide more detail. Um, but to fit in the extra 400 miles in the north, we just had to rework some elements. You know, we had to change them around. Um, if you look at the way the maps are currently um, laid out, there's a map A and a map B on the backside. Instead of just two maps, there'll be three to four maps per um, section. And, um, and yeah, I mean, there'll be, it, it's, it's amazing what the revision will do to the entire format of the route. Um, it will look very different. Um, they'll also, the maps as they are currently constituted, they don't actually, there's not, there's not data that really, they're not created from data. Data doesn't, you know, now with the revision of the Great Divide maps, um, they will, as a, how, how can I explain this? As a, they'll be created from geospatial data. These maps, as you see them, they're essentially just graphic art. They were traced um, topo maps. They're tra- traced Canadian topo maps. And literally, you just bring in the, the, the scan of the topo map into a graphic design software, and then you would just trace vector graphics on top of them. This is doing it from a completely different project. It's going to be all based on data. It's going to be based on the research data, the research that the field research has collected using the data logger, the GPS data logger, um, and then just other base data layers that we get from various sources. And so there will actually be data attached to everything. There will also be um, nice tinted shaded relief in the background, the current maps. Again, it's just a kind of a, a, a color scheme, which is um, based, again, on actual elevation data. But, um, again, it's, it's all essentially just graphic art. Um, it's going to look totally different. The endpoints of all the of all the sections will be different. Um, the mileage of all the sections will be different. Um, we've always mapped the route um, to be used primarily in the southbound direction. Um, so all of the the narrative cues and descriptions that we use went from north to south, from damp south. Now we will also have northbound um, narrative cue descriptions that we'll, that we will be adding. And so it'll allow those folks who want to travel bi-directionally to be able to do so without kind of manipulating the uh, the narrative information on their own. Um, 
It'll look totally, it'll look very different. Yeah, it'll look very different. Yeah. Okay, so s- starting from the, the north, uh, the, the new section, it, it begins in Jasper, right? Yes, yep. Begins in Jasper. And we'll be leaving Jasper. Um, the, our, the main route will follow the Overlander single track trail from Jasper. And I believe it's about 13 or so kilometers to the northeast, um, paralleling the Yellowhead Highway there. Yeah. And then we'll... And that should be pretty adventurous. I'm actually excited. I've never ridden that that trail. Jonathan recommended it to us. He said um, it's challenging, um, which I like the idea of challenging right off the bat, personally. Yeah. <laughs> as long as folks don't. We still have some of our of our membership and our, our map users. We're still using Bob trailers. I think it's getting less and less. But if you're pulling a Bob trailer, you probably don't want to get up on the overlander trail the first day out (laughs) (laughs) no no, for sure not (laughs) and so for that reason the fact that it's paralleling the highway that's good for them they can still take the highway all the way up to hinton and then from hinton uh, you'll have the option of um staying on the um they'll actually be mapping an alternate down from hinton to cadaman the small town of cadaman just to access some of the services and catamaran there, or you can take the main route, which I believe is Highway 40, yeah. from Hinton down towards Rob, south of Rob to Nordeg, and then Nordeg, you know, down to um, down to Highway 1A, you know, west or excuse me, east of Canmore, and then into Canmore and Banff. So uh, from, okay, so yeah, you have to take the 1A into Canmore and then from Canmore, are you, are you bypassing Banff or uh, or do you still go to like the actual town of Banff? So the main route will actually still go through Banff. What we will do is we'll map what's called another alternate route that we'll call the Canmore cutoff. And it'll be... um, you just hop right on to the Smith Dorian Highway there out of Canmore and go up the hill yeah. to the intersection with the Goat Creek Trail. Yeah. And so it'll just be that little that I guess I guess you probably know better than I. I guess it's probably about what, four miles or so, four or five miles, that little cutoff route yeah. to get in. Yep. But the main route absolutely will go. Will still go through Banff because we couldn't do that. We looked at it, and it does make an interesting jog now. Um, where if you're following the main route the entire way, you do kind of zigzag a little bit through there, and that's why we decided. Well, for the folks who don't really need to go into Banff, you know, we'll just map the cutoff so they can get directly to Canmore and then get on the new extension. And uh, I'm assuming the the Banff or getting to Banff would that be on the the Legacy like the paved Legacy Trail? Do you know? Yes, sir. Yep, that's exactly what we'll be on. Yep. Okay. Um, okay. So you get to the top of Goat Creek, um, and I know there's been some changes with the the West Side Road. I don't know if they've come into effect yet, but where where yeah. is the route going from there? So we're just gonna stick. Rather, unfortunately, we're just going to stick to the Smith-Dorian Road there on the east side of the Spray Reservoir. Um, it's not ideal, but Parks Canada first reached out to us at least two years ago now and said, you know, just FYI, we're going to make this closure on the Spray Lakes West Road, 
within, you know, sometime in the near future. They could never really pin down a date. Um, we finally got in touch with a supervisor this past summer who said it should be fine for riders to be on the Spray Lakes West Road last summer, but this next summer to essentially, you know, please begin the transition of routing off that Spray Lakes West Road. And so we'll be mapping the route on the Smith Dorian Road. We we like the idea of following the High Rockies Trail. Um, unfortunately, our route researcher again, um, Jonathan, he um, he noted in several places that um, the the High Rockies Trail, you know, the new single track that they put in that parallels the Smith Dorian Highway um, to the east. There, he noted that it just it wasn't completed yet. It, uh, some of the connections would be difficult to make. He also noted that there was virtually no signage for it, um, even from the highway. And maybe that's changed even over the fall. Maybe they put in some signage. Um, and so while we like the idea of, of getting off of the Smith Dorian road, because it becomes terribly washboarded and, and pretty dusty as I'm sure you and, and your readership know, um, we wanted we we weren't ready to make the decision to route on the High Rockies Trail, also for environmental environmental impact reasons. I'm not sure if some of the slopes that they are routing that trail is, will be good for um well definitely for Tour Divide, you know a, a a mass group of people going through over the course of a few days. It looked like there were some kind of north facing, maybe some moisture. Um, slopes that held snow a little longer, held moisture a little longer. And I just wouldn't want to degrade, you know, the trail with, with, with our riders, you know, until being able to really have a good evaluation of, of where that trail is. And, 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 you know, ultimately we, we'd like to have the approval to, of Parks Canada officials, you know, with um, the route that we're mapping. So at this point, our route, our route will just be on the Smith Dorian road. Gotcha. So uh, some, some context actually, um, the Alberta parks um, had pretty lengthy conversations with actually myself and Matthew Lee. um, Nice. Yeah. The tour divide. And um, yeah, Matthew and I both agreed that it would be a nightmare to, to ride the, to, to route up to the high Rockies, especially so early in the race, because it would be this huge bottleneck sure. and it just, it, yep. It's, yep. It, it wouldn't be good for the environmental impact um, as, as you suggested. So yeah, unfortunately the Smith yeah. Dorian kind of came out as really the only option, but um, yeah. ha- having spent a lot of time on the high Rockies, um, you know, just for my own guidebook sake that I, I, it is done. Um, it is, it oh, is, good. it is fully rideable. Um, okay. the, the, there is no signage, uh, once you're, well, sorry, I should, there's, there's signage at a few of the key junctions where you can cut down back, okay. back to the Smith Dorian. Um, but it, it's okay. pretty, it's pretty straightforward other than a few junctions. Like, you know, that's really the only way you can go. Um, right. Right. But yeah, I, my first time riding at it, you know, before it was even complete, I, the first thing I said to the bike shops in town, I said, you know, it's, it's a fun little mountain bike route for, but for anyone carrying any resemblance of a, of a load, it, it would be a nightmare. So, um, okay. Okay. Sure. It, yeah. It, it would be, it would be like the difference of, um, 
you know, for, say from the top of Goat Creek to the the Bolton Creek or uh, Bolton Campground area. Um, so the start yeah. of Elk Pass, like, so the difference of say a couple okay, of, right. cu- couple hours to, um, I think when I did it at, I did it at like a moderate pace. Stopped, you know. I had lunch and this and that. It took me about ten hours to do, to do it. Uh, wow! Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 not reasonable for for the fully loaded rider, at least if you want to keep your sanity. So, um, okay. Sure. So, so sure. We, yep. we we've gotten on the Smith Dorian. We're 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 down to um, Bolton Creek and and headed up Elk Pass. Or the, I assume there's no changes really up and over the pass there. Nope. No changes going over Elk Pass or anything. Um, yeah, the change from there going south won't really occur until you hit Round Prairie. Okay, okay. And yeah. um, so you mentioned um, that you're going to stick to the, the Elk Valley Trail. And uh, they, if you haven't seen yeah. it, if you haven't seen it already, um, I haven't seen it in person, but I, I believe it's either at the start or – uh-huh. Up at the top of the pass, they've erected a pretty phenomenal um, wooden arch. Um, it's almost like oh, nice. two totem poles, and yeah, it's. I was actually blown away when I saw a picture of it. Um, so that's cool. yeah, uh, definitely worth checking out. But okay, so if you're if you're sticking to the Elk Valley Trail Network, does that mean you're going to get yeah. a, get away from the Flathead Valley, or is that still part of it? No, that will still remain the route. That will, we are going to, so that currently is in um, the main route. We map that as a main route. Then the alternate route follows um, Highway 43 and 3 along, you know, paralleling the highway corridor over there. So what we're going to do is we're going to change the designation. We're going to map the Elk Valley Trail as the main route on these new maps. And the route that goes over Flathead, Galton, Cabin Pass, um, that will become um, alternate an alternate route. Is is there anything else you wanted to add, either about um, you know the mapping process, adventure cycling, or um, the new divide section? Um, I guess the one thing would be that um, you know most I think I I did touch on earlier. In fact, that most of our, our, our bike routes, our road routes, we're, we're getting more involved and more kind of focused on adding more bikepacking routes. We'll be um, in the next few years, actually this summer, we started the research on um, an Arizona high country mountain bike route, or excuse me, Arkansas high country mountain bike route in um, kind of northeastern, northwestern um, Arkansas. And that's going to be a fantastic loop. A lot of people... They hear we're doing a route in Arkansas, and they say, Arkansas, kind of question mark, you know, you know why down there? But um, there's actually a really, a really, um, bikepacking has become a very popular recreational activity down there. And they've done some really good work on the trails and the Ozark National Forest and, and Washita um, National Forest down there. And um, we're super excited. Just, you know, they're the, the trail will be a, a loop. It'll be a large, roughly thousand mile long loop. And um, we're visiting places like Little Rock and, and Hot Springs National Park. Um, we're going to be routing. There's going to be several single track options um, off that route and on that route. And um, many of them, or I didn't want to say there's 
a total of about four Imba Epic trails that we're going to be routing on that single track. And it's new, it's uncharted territory for us. We have, I want to say we don't have, we've got just a small portion of one of our long distance routes that goes to Southern Arkansas. And so it's going to be great when, once we do that. Like I said, research began on it this year. We'll continue the route research on it this upcoming summer. And, um, you know, I, I, I personally am a bike packer and I, I, I love the direction of the, the organization that we're continuing to add more of these off pavement miles to our route network. I think it's, I think it's awesome. And that's definitely something to build on in the future. One last uh, plug for you guys, I guess the, the website is adventurecycling.org and, um, um, yep. you know, the, the membership, it's, it's not very expensive, but, uh, one of the, the great perks is, um, you get discounts on the, the maps. You don't have to be a member to, to get the dis or, uh, to get the maps, but you get a discount. And, um, Correct. you yep. know, one, I, one of the benefits that I, I really appreciate, which I imagine a lot of folks do is, is your adventure, um, cyclist magazine. It's a, it's a great resource yeah. for not only the, the backcountry yeah. folks, but also the, the road touring. Uh, for sure. Sure. Yep. That's a big perk. Yes. Uh, discounts on maps. Membership is only $40 a year. Um, there's, you know, discounts on maps. There's, um, you know, we, we offer all of our tours. Um, there's special discounts through certain services. You know, you, you even head into some hotels in some random remote small town and say, your adventure cycling member and they'll provide you the 10% discount. Um, but you know, yeah, our website, adventurecycling.org, it's, it's a clearinghouse for long distance bike travel information. There's so much information on there. I've worked with the organization for eight years now, and I'm still discovering new things. You can look at all of our old archives, you know, our magazine archives, um, we had an electronic newsletter for several years. You can look through the archives there. Um, I love a lot of the international, um, stories, the international trips, um, people write up about it in our, in our magazine, Adventure Cyclist magazine. Um, so much information, treasure trove of information. Then there's our forums. Our forums are, um, I think that they don't get the attention they deserve sometimes because there's an active, an active group of folks on, um, on our forums, on the different discussion boards, talking about everything, current, you know, issues affecting our routes, road closures, um, people planning, you know, wanting to visit a certain area. And maybe it's an area that we don't touch on our, on our, on our maps, but there's a lively crew of people offering advice there. And I mean, that's a fantastic resource too. So um, yeah, adventurecycling.org, that's kind of a launching point for all of it. Excellent. Well, I, I appreciate uh, the time, Nathan. I'll let, get, let you get back to your day, but uh, please uh, keep Bike Pack Canada in mind if um, you want to explore um, beyond the, the, the Great Divide and, and start looking elsewhere in Canada for, for, for mapping. Cool. Great. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. <laughs>